to, uh, to figuring out who was going to follow him. Um, all he did for those that stopped following him, what did he do? He didn't run them off. All he did was teach the truth. And so I just find it interesting that just by teaching the truth, by telling the truth, it dwindled down the numbers to show who was serious about the ministry. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship. Hello and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. And on today's episode, we are joined by uh, Craig Doman and Pastor Stewart's with me as usual. And so uh, glad to have you guys on the podcast today. Thank you. Hello. And we're looking forward to getting into some content here. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the cost of discipleship. So uh, Pastor Stewart, if you kind of want to speak to how this came across as an idea for us, and then uh, we'll get right into it. Sure thing. Uh, I was sitting in my Sunday school class and uh, Mr. Doman uh, is my Sunday school teacher and uh, he was teaching on really Jude but he's been cross-referencing and he's in John chapter 6 and he was really teaching us about uh, how God ministers and how Christ ministered to people that Christ was teaching us that uh, life is not about the physical realm but most importantly it's about the spiritual realm and he was doing a, a, a deep dive on murmurers and, and how murmurers uh, behave, what their characteristics are, what they uh, we can expect from them. But then he got on a point on uh, the cost of discipleship. And Craig, I, I really appreciated what you had to say and just wanted to give you an opportunity to share this with our listeners as well to uh, be able for them to be able to hear and uh, be able to understand and know these truths as God revealed them to you. So could you share with us uh, some of the things that you were talking about on Sunday morning in Sunday school? Sure. So like you said, we were studying out as Jude, I think it's verse 15, it's not in front of me, but we were looking at murmurers and how the ungodly, that is something that they do. And in John chapter 6, we had several examples of murmurers. Um, I wasn't even planning on talking about the cost of discipleship during that lesson, but the Lord led me to do that. And uh, so just give, uh, bring people up to speed. In John 6, uh, at the beginning, it's where Jesus feeds uh, thousands, pe- thousands of people uh, bread and fish. And he, uh, the reason they came to him, and we're told that, I believe it's in verse 2, uh, the reason these people had come in the first place was because he had done physical miracles. He had healed them, uh, cured them of their diseases, and so they were following him. Uh, multitudes of the Jews were following him because he did those miracles. Mm-hmm. Um once he brought them there, um, or once they, I should say, once they came to him, uh, then he fed them. Um, and so he started to do more miracles. Um, and then it tells us, starting in verse 22 and following, uh, Jesus knew why they were following him. And we get to a point where they followed him because of the miracles of the healing. Then they were following him because they, uh, because he fed them food and even tells them up front, Hey, it's, uh, I believe it's in verse 36, but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. And so really the one of the main points we were getting to and what Jesus is teaching here is that there are people who follow him, but it's not always for the right reasons. And so he was really, he brought them to this point of healing them, feeding them in order to bring them to this teachable moment. And Jesus, the awesome thing about my Savior, about our Savior 
is that he was willing to go with these people as far as they wanted to. As long as they were willing to follow him, he was willing to teach them and he was willing to reveal himself to them because that was the whole point of both of those miracles of healing them and feeding them was that he mm-hmm. could reveal who he was and that's the whole rest of John chapter 6 is that he is the bread of life. He is the bread that came down from heaven. Um, and some of the Jews, they even reference uh, in verse 30, uh, they said, therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they keep focusing on the physical, on even the physical miracles that the, that the father did uh, right. in Moses' day. Jesus kindly corrects them and says, hey, it wasn't Moses that gave it to you. It was my heavenly father. And so Jesus continues to desire to reveal himself to them. Um, But after he said some of these hard sayings, uh, the harsh reality is that many of them stopped following him. Um, The Jews, the multitudes, they went back, they stopped following him. And then even after he continues to uh, reveal himself, even many of uh, his disciples, and, and God's word uses that word disciples, they stop following him. I mean, what is a disciple? It's someone who follows Jesus. And so the uh, the harsh reality is that Jesus, he, he'll he tell you the truth. As long as you're willing to come to him, he'll reveal himself to you. But um, it was just interesting that he, he didn't sacrifice the truth in order to keep people mm-hmm. stringing them along. He, he told it like it was. And so um, he was up front with them. I think it's interesting going back to the point you made about the uh, fact that Jesus knew uh, why, why people were following him. And he still ministered to them, even though he was able to identify and he knew why they were following. If, if we wanted to sum it up, really they were following for selfish motives. Mm-hmm. And yet Christ was willing to use those selfish motives to get them and allow them to follow, but he wasn't willing to pander to their selfishness in order to keep them following him. Right. He, he offered them the truth, and they either had to accept or reject that going forward. And so discipleship sounds like a wonderful idea, and, and we like to use that terminology. But then when it comes down to it, uh, a lot of times we like to deal with discipleship because it feeds some need or desired or perceived need in our life. But there is not, uh, if we're not following Christ, we're not a disciple. Yeah, and uh, if we're not following him in all of his truth, then we're not a disciple. And so, I think that's important that you bring that point out, and that uh, Jesus is working with these people as much as they're willing to work with him. But he's not changing. One of the things that I've we've talked about before, and I've thought of quite a bit since, is that when you're going through the process of truly discipling somebody, you're going to deal with some really hard things in their life. Um, and if you avoid those hard things, you're not doing them any favors. So like, like Craig said, you know, the Lord wasn't afraid to speak the truth to them. One of the things that they say in this passage is that, um, the disciples that leave say, this is a hard saying who can hear it. You know, that's, that's one of the things that they specifically mention is a reason why they're leaving. So when you're discipling somebody or at least truly trying to help somebody, there's some things that you're going to have to talk to them about. Not that you're trying to hurt them, but they're hard things that need to be dealt with. And that gives them a prime opportunity to continue following or not. And um, I think we have churches that are full of people um, that are there for what they can get out of it. 
instead of what they can contribute to it. And, you know, that's, it's, it's sad, but as I've traveled across the country, that's been my experience. You go, and if you've been in one church any length of time, you've had somebody come and then go. And the reason is always, well, I wasn't being fed there. Well, that's a, that's a silly thing to say. That's not what church is for. It's for you to have a place of service, not, not for you to be fed. So yeah. yeah, should you be fed at church? Yeah, sure. Um, but most often we end up getting fed by ministering to other people. Um, so that, that's interesting that that was brought out because that's exactly, that's exactly what happens when you're truly discipling people. You say some things that are hard to say, and then they have to make a decision as to whether to keep going or not. Sure. And one of the neat things too here is I love when God's word tells us and gives us a definition, like in verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom, or whom he hath sent. And so, uh, God tell they, because Jesus in the previous verses tells them, hey, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. And so Jesus even continues to tell them, hey, it's not about, you, you don't continue to labor uh, in order to earn anything. And he, he's, again, just trying to point them towards himself on this is God's work that you believe on, him, on whom he hath sent. He's talking about himself. He's talking about it's Jesus Christ that they would believe what he is saying. That was the whole point of why he had them there. So that's God's work. God gives us a definition there. I think we, we, we've talked on this podcast before about um, the difference between ministry and service. Um, and so just a quick recap on that. Uh, ministry is the teaching and preaching of God's word. And then service is anything that's service-oriented to help other people. Now, what Jesus has done early in this chapter is he started with a service-oriented way of ministering to people. He fed them, right? And then the disciples were given a task to carry that food and give it out to people and dispense it. When he finished with the service side, he moved into the ministry side. And I think it's interesting that when he begins to minister, that's when people start to have a problem. Nobody had any problem when he was serving. Mm-hmm. And when we when we set up our ministry as a service-oriented ministry, we even call our church services services, okay? <laughs> but we start we start things out in a service-oriented way and then people begin to expect something and when they don't get what they expect, they go somewhere where they think they can get what they're expecting. Hmm. Um, because we're not ministry-oriented, we're not thinking ministry-oriented. And those disciples, or the ones that left, had no problem when it was about food, when it was about healing sickness, when it was amazing and felt good, and there was, you know, all the the touchy feelies going on. But when it moved on to, this is the the truth that needs to be spoken, that's when they started to have a problem. And when we are discipling people, there is a service involved in that. You might buy somebody a coffee. You might be the one that has to travel the 45 minutes to meet them, um, to try and be as convenient as you can possibly be to be a service to them. But eventually you're going to have to get into the meat of it and start speaking the word. And that's where the problems start to come in. If we're not careful, we can be so afraid to confront the problem or to have a problem that will shy away from what needs to be said. And I think it's interesting if you study throughout the life of Christ, he had no problem saying what needed to be said. Now, he said it in a kind and loving way um, to the lost uh, and to the non-religious especially. But 
you know, to the Pharisees, he said it as hard as they needed to hear it. Yeah. And he didn't shy away from doing that. I think we, we have to be careful about being too shy with what God's word says in order to keep from offending people. And when we do that, we're not ministering. We're trying to serve and we're, we're shying away from doing actual ministry. Um, if I can, I'd like to uh, ask Craig if you would go into a little bit of the description of the murmurers, because I think when we look at this from the aspect of, of murmuring, we get an indication, we get some indicators as ministers, as people who are looking to minister to people as Christ did so. Uh, there are some things in this passage that will, and maybe other passages if you want to touch on that, that will help us to identify when we're dealing with this crowd that is looking for that service, like we pointed out, the miracles, the feeding, the, the other uh, service-oriented stuff. And then kind of transition to how can we tell and what does God tell us in his word here about those people that would uh, be there. And I think this murmuring is a key to look for, to see the heart of people, to be able to identify where they're headed and whether they're going to be a true follower or a faithful follower of Christ. Well, you definitely touched on it, and that's exactly it, is that we know from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and that murmuring uh, is an indicator that someone's heart is not in the right spot. Um, the, the, one of the main takeaways we were looking at on Sunday was that murmuring happens when a truth is presented and it is difficult or inconvenient to believe. So what happened with the Jews, the multitudes here, Jesus presented them with a truth mm. and it flew in the face of what their preconceived notions were. They thought they knew who Jesus was. They were talking about, well, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's son? We know who this guy is. We know where he comes from. Um, but they had, uh, they didn't have a full understanding of who he was. And so the murmuring happened when Jesus presented this truth to them and it conflicted with their, their previous ideas about life, about God, about Jesus. And it revealed where their heart was at. The one sad thing is that most of these people here, all but 12, they stopped following him this day. Uh, and the murmuring was an indicator that their heart was not, uh, it was not in the right spot. It was not in it for following him for the right reasons. And so those murmurings, they weren't the reason they stopped following him, but those were indicators that they were soon going to stop following him. Uh, another point I remember you making Sunday was that murmurers always need to be in the know. Uh, so there's another indicator of somebody that always has to know everything that's going on uh, could be. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there could be positive motives for wanting to, to understand and know what's going on. But as a big picture, if you've got somebody that's wanting to always know everything that's going on behind the scenes everywhere, that may be an indicator that this person is a murmurer. Do you want yeah, to Yeah, you're referring to verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? In other words, th these guys were almost acting like uh, the gatekeepers, the guardians of, uh, of this area, that they needed to know where Jesus was, when he was doing it, how he was doing it. Um, that wasn't the important thing. It just wasn't. And so the fact that mm -hmm. they needed to always be in the know uh, all the time was an indicator that, they again they weren't searching him for the right reasons they weren't seeking him but here's the awesome thing again about jesus he he i hate to use the phrase but he put up with it he he was he was still willing to deal with them to love them to teach them yeah i don't know if i have that much patience yet i'm not a pastor but 
uh, I know it can be difficult dealing with people who uh, they come to you for for not the most pure of motives. And I think I'm speaking to a crowd that has dealt with situations like that before, and it's usually not that difficult to uh, to know when someone's coming to you for you for what reason they're coming to you for. I have a, three kids, all of them under the age of four. Uh, it's usually pretty easy to determine when my son comes to me um, if he's coming for ice cream or if he's coming for something that <laughs> would be uh, much more uh, satisfying the, to the flesh. So um, so anyways, Jesus, he, uh, he continued to go with him. He never told him to stop following him. Even when he asked his, uh, his disciples uh, in verse 67, then send Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? This is after the multitude and other disciples stopped following him. He gave even his closest twelve followers, he gave them an opportunity to stop following him. Now that wasn't his desire, um, I, it was a test, but nonetheless, he gave them that opportunity, and I know even in my own personal life, uh, there's been a select few uh, situations that I can remember um, that God gave me an opportunity to stop following him. I remember when my friend who uh, who invited me here to church uh, over 10 years ago, uh, I was still in college, and when he graduated, he was two years older than me, I just thought, well, do I continue going to this church? I just went back to Chicago, where I'm from for the summer. Um, or do I go to another church that most of my friends were at? Because uh, I would have been the only one going to this church. And so that was a huge decision in my life at the time. It might seem small, but it was it was an opportunity to, uh, I'd still be saved, I'd still be living for him, but I would have stopped following him that day if I would have chose somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, another time is when I graduated college, could have went, uh, most of my friends either went to Indianapolis or Chicago for work, for family, other things. That would have been the more convenient route would be to have moved back home where I'm from. Um, but again, I knew and thank God that <laughs> he convinced me that he wanted me here and I would have, again, that would have prevented me from continuing to follow him where he had me at that time. So, um, so he gives us opportunities even as ministers of Christ. It's not just everybody else. It's, it's I gotta look at myself personally too, um, that I'm not gonna stop following him just because there's an opportunity to. Yeah. And I think we, we need to take a hard look at our, our decision-making processes too, a lot of the time, like the examples that you gave, um, it's very easy to excuse something or to make a choice. And even, you know, how many times have we heard somebody make a choice that, you know, is a bad choice, but they'll, they'll blame God for it. Um, yeah. they'll say, well, it was God's will that I go and do this. And it's like, well, hang on a second. How do you know that? How do you know it's God's will? Can you find that in scripture? Can you point to it and say, this is what God has told and spoken to me about. And if you can't, uh, you might want to take a second look at that decision. And, um, you know, I just, we were, I was talking to some friends yesterday talking about, um, uh, somebody that we know that's gone down the wrong path and, um, just really when we were analyzing the decision process is what we were doing. And when it came down to it, they had basically, they blamed God for the decisions that they made. And now they are where they are. And you're walking on dangerous ground when you start blaming God for things. Um, these people, like you said, they had a choice and they decided to go. And they probably had very legitimate and and convincing reasons for doing so. Um, but I do find it interesting. I don't know how this applies exactly to what we're talking about. But I do find it interesting that in verse 70, after they the 12 say that they're going to stay, Jesus points out that one of them is a the devil. As disciples, we we still have that 
Um, we have to keep that watchful eye because there are people who will be able to camouflage themselves and stick around and make it all the way through whatever process of discipleship you have and, um, be servants in the church and do all the things that you think that they're supposed to do and teach the Sunday school class or whatever. And hopefully you've been able to eliminate them by that point, but they, they can camouflage themselves rather well. And the only one that knew this person was a devil was Jesus and he kept him around on purpose. But the other 11, you know, up until the last supper, Jesus says, I'm going to hand this up to the, to the bad guy, if you will. And he does it and they still don't get it. So he was very well camouflaged, but we have to keep a leery eye out for that kind of thing. So, and we're not perfect. We're not Christ. We're not going to know all of it. Um, but you can simply by teaching truth, eliminate a lot of that problem. People will leave on their own. And really when people do leave, but I guess, or even Jesus example, if the, from the world's perspective, uh, the world would say Jesus was doing a terrible job on leadership. How many people stopped following him that day? Yeah. Oh man, you had hundreds, you had thousands following you and now you're down to 12. What a poor leader you are, but it wasn't poor leadership. It was perfect leadership. And Jesus, uh, again, he, he, he wasn't willing to sacrifice truth. He wasn't willing to baby them forever. He was, he was willing for them to come along. But again, from the world standards, a church of 12 is not a successful church, mm-hmm. but that's that's not God's opinion. Yeah, that's that's good. I think another interesting aspect is when we look at the transition that takes place from the crowd that was following and thinking about the temptation as a pastor to uh, get sucked into this numbers game mm-hmm. where, you know, just like you were speaking about, how many people are uh, am I ministering to in a week and and how many people are hearing me preach on Sunday morning and how what's our Sunday morning and Sunday night services and we judge our successes or our uh, effectiveness in ministry based on those numbers and those things in this passage as we're dealing with these truths Jesus is not doing anything to appease these people to continue to keep them following him mm-hmm in fact, you could probably say that effectively he did uh, things that would be exactly opposite of what we would be tempted to do in the flesh to be able to continue to have a following. And even asking his dedicated disciples, are you two going to leave me? Are you going to depart? And uh, and then as he continues and they say, well, we don't have anywhere to go. Who else has the words of life? And then he continues to reveal himself to him. Uh, I think it's interesting in John 6 here, in verse 60 and following here, Jesus is revealing himself to them. He asks them this question. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? So he speaks to them and he says, So is this offensive to you, that, that I am the words of life and, and spirit and, and my words are life? And the things of this flesh, they're not going to profit nothing. He's not, he's not saying this just because it's hard. He's saying it because it's true. Mm-hmm. And some of the difficult times in my life is dealing with the truth even though it was hard. Yeah. Uh, coming to the reality and having somebody point something out to me in my life and, and say, Brian, this, doesn't, this, is, this is dead wrong. This, you're, you're not understanding. You don't know what you're doing. As a teenager, we all, you know, a kid, we all think we know what we're doing. We see somebody do it for 10 seconds and we're now the expert on it. 
And I think in a sense, we as disciples, many times we get one little Bible story or one little message, or we have somebody sit down and explain, you know, how to lead somebody to Christ. And now we become the resident expert on it. And Jesus is talking to his disciples here after he's ministered with them for a while. And he's helping them to understand you're not seeing the big picture yet. Uh, you're getting focused on the small details when the big picture, I want you to see the big picture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things in our modern uh, church that we've lost sight of in many respects. Not everybody, not everywhere, but many of us have lost sight of the big picture. And we don't understand how all of this is supposed to work together. Uh, for you know, And again, it goes back to we must follow our example. Our example is Christ in everything, including our methods, including our systems by which we uh, minister and serve other people, and we need to look to him as our prime example in everything. I, I think it's interesting to what you're talking about, how the same crowd that at one place in Scripture wants to make him king and he refuses is the same crowd that wants to get rid of him. Yeah. And, you know, so often we appeal to the crowd or the mob, if you will, and we are trying to appease the, the the large groups of people. And, you know, how many times have I heard, I've talked to a dozen pastors, how many times have I heard them say, uh, larger church, larger problems, you know, um, is what people say. Mm -hmm. And there is some truth to it, but it isn't about the size. It's about trying to appease the size. Um, and when you're trying to minister for the crowd or to the crowd, that's where the problem begins to arise. Jesus had a whole lot more problems out of the crowd than he did out of the 12. And the 12 were there. They wanted to follow him. And when they had problems, it was just because of small fleshly issues that Jesus was able to deal with. But when the crowd had a problem, there's one time he has to disappear out of their sight, which is like, which I believe to be a miracle that he moved himself yeah. um, out of their grip. Because how do you disappear in a crowd that wants to kill you? Um, but the, he had a lot more trouble out of the large crowd than he did out of the small group. And the reason for that is that the, the that small group of disciples were the people that wanted to follow, that wanted to serve. And really, those are the people that we need to spend our time focusing on. And because that's what Jesus did. He focused on those those 12 men. And then when he ascended into heaven and those 12 men went out to do the work of the ministry, the crowds came. It just didn't necessarily happen in Jesus's earthly lifetime. So I think if we can to put it bluntly, be less selfish and invest in the few, then it may not even happen in my lifetime. But at some point, that word will continue to expand. And those men that we have an opportunity to teach will have an opportunity to teach others. As Paul said to Timothy, I'm teaching you so that you can teach faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And it continues to expand that way. God's work is not always done quickly or largely, <laughs> um, but it is always done. Yeah. And so it just takes men who are willing to do it. And again, I think the, the focus is to make sure that we are willing to invest in those who are willing to count the cost and to do what's necessary. Verse 66, I think, is a one of those hard truths that is a minister, a, a person who desires to see other people come to not only a saving knowledge of Christ, but an understanding uh, of him that their relationship is such that they behave and act like him. 
Verse 66 says this, From that time many of his disciples, speaking of Jesus' disciples, they went back and walked no more with him. And I want to speak to the, the, the pastor right now, or the minister, Sunday school teacher, the, uh, the discipler who has somebody who makes a profession of faith, then you spend and invest time and energy in that person uh, by teaching them and showing them the Word of God. But the reality of the fact is that there are going to be, and this word here is many, there were many that went back and walked no more with him. And we don't like to think about that. We like to think about everything being a success and mm-hmm. that every person who gets saved is going to turn out to be a, uh, a, a, a great uh, evangelizer of the lost and a, and a great teacher of the word of God. And they're going to see many souls saved, but that's not the real reality uh, that we see in Christ's ministry. And we've kind of been talking about that this whole time, but here's one of those hard realities that we need to face that when we do have people that step back, do we still love them? Yes. If that person decided to follow Christ again, would he have accepted them? I believe he would have. Uh, but that was their choice. And in the way God made us, he made us to choose, are we going to do things God's way? Or are we going to do things the devil's way? Uh, the devil's way has just about every way you can think of to get it accomplished. God's way is one straight and narrow way. And uh, he wants us on that path. And the only way we can be on that path is to follow him. We can't get there any other way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. So we must be in him, and we must be following him. But the sad reality is there's going to be many that followed him for a time, but they go back, and they don't walk with him anymore. And when that happens, it breaks our hearts. I'm sure it breaks the Savior's heart, but he doesn't pander to them. And ministers, pastors, we need to be careful not to pander to those who are not walking with the Lord. We can minister to them. We can offer them the truth. But they've got to make the choice. Are they going to go away or are they going to continue to follow? Mm -hmm. That's their choice, not ours. Uh, We just need to continue to give them the opportunity to follow when they will and if they will. If I may point out, too, it it didn't take Jesus a whole lot to... Uh, to figuring out who is going to follow him. Um, All he did for those that stopped following him, what did he do? He didn't run them off. All he did was teach the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I just find it interesting that just by teaching the truth, by telling the truth, it dwindled down the numbers to show who was serious about the ministry. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, uh, Pastor Stewart didn't hand select me and say, you know, you're the guy that I'm going to pour into. He poured into a lot of people. Um, he's poured into a lot of people in his life. I've seen it. Uh, I've experienced it uh, firsthand in myself. And uh, he never once tried to persuade me to, you know, to keep sticking with it. Uh, he never gave me that motivational speech or that, you know, self-confidence, which I don't need any self-confidence. I need God confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was simply by telling me the truth and then letting me make that decision. And uh, I'm thankful that I serve underneath God's leadership and under uh, his pastoralship. And it's just, it's a blessing um, having that protection and also just uh, being able to see Christ's example in and through him. Um, 
not necessarily lifting up as a person, but it's helpful seeing that physical example because I know at least in the circles that I grew up with spiritually is that there's a whole lot of temptation for learning from virtual churches or from this evangelist over here or this pastor mm-hmm. over here, whereas it's, uh, I mean, the way that Jesus discipled was in person and bringing them along as he as he conducted his life, and they simply saw that. And so it's just been a big help uh, for me in many, many areas. Yeah. You can almost, in verse 67, you can almost hear the pain in Jesus's voice when he says, will ye also go away? Um, I don't think he took great pleasure or pride in people leaving. You know, um, I've Mm -hmm. been under, I've been under preachers, not necessarily as my pastor, but I've heard men preach that almost took pride in saying the things that hurt people. Um, and that, that's the wrong attitude to have, but you can tell just by reading what Jesus says, the way he says it, that it isn't a comfortable thing for him to say. He doesn't want people to leave. He wants people to follow, but he knows that he can't sugarcoat it in order to get him to follow at the same time. So, alrighty. Well, we'll call it a day. I thank you guys uh, for listening. And uh, again, if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us. We'll leave the information to do that in the sting. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Craig, for being with us on this podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Y'all have a good one. God bless y'all. Thank you for joining us for this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we're going to be talking about a large harvest with the small method. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at General Order the number 4. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe.